Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. All right, I am so so honored and blessed to introduce our next guest, Max Montgomery, photographer to the likes of Justin Bieber, Dua Lipa, Billie Eilish, and of course, Snoop Dogg. He's also, more importantly, husband to Matilda and father to baby Lou. Welcome to the podcast. You gave us a lot of great stuff for your bio, but I'm going to let you get into it. So welcome. Welcome. Thank you. So as you know, from listening to our podcast, which we appreciate, the first question we ask every guest is what is your definition of fulfillment and what is your definition of success? And are they at all intertwined? So I've listened to a bunch of your podcasts and I think everybody always gives really good answers. It's such a complicated question. For me though, fulfillment is um, being able to be inspired being able to be with people who I love and experience things that make me feel alive. It's travel, it's broadening my soul and success is always been for me since I was young about having a sense of autonomy. And when I was very young, I went to boarding school and I think that shaped me into wanting to have a sense of independence for my family who loved and supported me in, in every way. But when I went away, I, I think almost at the age of 13, you start to become a man when you're thrust into a boarding school. And I think that transitioning into becoming an adult, I've always just wanted to be able to kind of provide and live the life that I want to live uh, with the people I want to live and, and not be forced to do anything I don't want to do. And I think if you can do that, that is success. But really, they're interlinked because, you know, good times, good memories, mm -hmm. that's what life's all about. And I think when things go bad, 
having a circle of people around you, whether that's family or friends or work colleagues who will lift you up, that's when you kind of find out what it's all about. Uh, it's in the bad times and how you react to that and how people around you react to you being in those situations and lift you up. So I don't know if that's clear. That's but, pretty clear. Yeah. So speaking of the bad times, can you share a bad time with us? <laughs> Jasmine's going right in. Um, <laughs> in my personal life or in my work life? Either. Or like in a time that shaped you or you realized, it, like you're saying, the people that were there for you, maybe there was people that weren't. I think when learned. when I was younger, my biggest fear was to let people down and to let myself down. You know, I spent a lot of years working for people and every day I just wanted to kind of achieve all the goals that they needed to be set out. And when things went wrong, inevitably you know, I felt a great amount of pain in those situations because I feel like I'd really let them down. I remember once I was working for a photographer called Rankin and he had hired, um, I was his first assistant at the time and he'd sent me out from London to Palm Springs to scout for a photo shoot we were doing. And it was a big shoot and I'd gone out two weeks earlier and he wanted to shoot the sunrise in the desert. And i rented this great sports car and I was out in Palm Springs and I drove out to the desert and I sent him photos and I said, this is where we should shoot. And he said, great, let's go. But unfortunately, I'd through lack of experience forgot that when you go to a photo shoot, you don't just drive one person in a sports car, but you drive kind of like 12 cars in slow RVs. And so I'd miscalculated the timing and, um, you know, he'd spent hundreds of thousands of dollars and we missed the sunrise because I'd not organized for the shoot to leave early enough. And those are the kind of situations where you learn about kind of always questioning yourself and productions and everything in order to not mess it up for everybody. But, you know, it's constant involvement of making mistakes and learning from mistakes. And, and that's, that's really what photography is all about at the end of the day. And some of the best pictures I've ever taken have been mistakes. So you have to be like prepared to put yourself in, in that zone. What is your relationship with failure from that perspective, from that lens? Cause I think you touch on a really interesting topic of like, you know, sometimes the best things are mistakes. And in life, that's so true about so many things. Like sometimes you need to quote unquote fail to get to your next step of where you should be. So I'd be interested to hear like, how do you perceive failure? Well, the great thing about my work is that you have two sides to it. You basically have a commercial side and you have a personal side. And a commercial failure, I suppose, would be when a client hires you to do a job and they're not happy with the results. So that that would be defined as a failure. I haven't experienced that in a while, but I certainly did when I was starting out. And you you kind of don't understand because you're trying your best, but sometimes you just don't have the skill set necessary. And, you know, in essence, when I started, I was faking it to make it. I was cocky. I was going in pretending to be a photographer, but I didn't really fully understand all the different aspects of lighting and posing and all the stuff you have to know. But once you do something enough, you kind of, it seeps into your subconscious and I'm still learning, but I'm, I feel like I'm now equipped enough that I can make people happy in general. 
But then the other side of photography is your personal work or your kind of editorial work. And I love to fail there, you know, because that's where I really try and push the boat out. And sometimes, you know, you're just like, oh, I tried something and I really wanted it to be conceptual, but actually it's just a bad version of what somebody else has done. But you take things from that and you keep trying and you keep trying. And that's where you grow is by kind of pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone. When you do commercial work, you're always just doing what you know, because you can't mess it up because you have to, you know, clients are paying a lot of money. You have to make them happy. But I love when I'm just like, recently I was in New York and I just picked up, it's my favorite city to take photos in. And I just walk around and I plug in my headphones and listen to Miles Davis and walk around Harlem taking pictures of people. And that itself can be quite scary because, you know, often people are not used to having their photographs taken and you're just approaching people and asking if you can have their photo taken. And some of those people don't want their photo taken. Some of those people don't want their photo taken because they're criminals. Some of them don't want their photos taken because they're illegally in the country. And some of those people want to maybe rob you. Uh, I've had all of those situations occur. And then sometimes you take people's photos and you can almost change their life with it because they love that photo and that photo lives with them and you immortalize them forever in a way. So it's fun. It gets the heartbeat going. It's like a, it's like a hunt. Uh, when you're out there. But failure is something that is, I think, vital for any artist. It's a part of everyday life. I moved to California for the opposite reason, because I think you wake up every day and the sun is shining and that's a win. Mm -hmm. So you start your day with a win. Because I grew up in England and it was (laughs) rainy and miserable. And I felt every day like, God, this is tough. And now I wake up here and I look outside and I'm like, wow, life is beautiful. This is a blessing. Now let's go out and take the New York, London energy to Los Angeles and hustle and try and make things happen and be productive and be creative. And just, you know, never feel like when you get into bed at the end of the day, you didn't do enough, you know, just feel like that you can look yourself in the mirror at the end of the day and be like, okay, I tried even if I failed and that's it. On a tactical level, how do you like, bring that momentum to LA and like cultivate creativity. Cause I can speak for myself. Like sometimes it's, I can just go on a walk and I can like draw inspiration from that. But then sometimes I'm like, God, this city, like you're in your car and traffic and this and that, like, how do you on a tactical level cultivate creativity and energetic momentum? That's interesting too. And to add to that, you mentioned that you love New York and it's the best city for you to take photos in. And New York, we've both lived there. Like, you know, it has the charm. It has the momentum. There's so many interesting people and everyone's just like out and about on the streets. And LA is, to your point, Jasmine, like very different than that. Like people aren't just like out and about. So I really love that question, like coming from a New York energy and London also hustle and bustle to LA. How do you make sure to keep getting inspiration here? Well, LA, I think, has the potential. I agree. It has the potential of any city. The problem is you have to work out how to tap into it. In New York, you feel like you are being hyper productive just because you're active, but actually being active does not mean that you are productive. And inevitably when I'm in New York, I find myself going out, seeing lots of people, but I'm not sure how much I'm actually getting done. And in the solitude of LA and the fact that I'm often forced to just sit in my house and work alone, I find that I can be more constructive and actually productive. 
LA is the city of dreams. You know, everybody is here. I'm not a big fan of a lot of this stuff and language that people use here. I'm English. And when people say manifest, manifest, I'm manifest, first and foremost. I, I mean, I find it quite painful uh, at times, but then I do do it. I lay down and I, I imagine myself, I watched that Arnold Schwarzenegger documentary. I don't know if you saw I, it. I heard it's amazing. And he's literally like, I visualize myself in a room with people cheering my name and it came true. And I do the same now. I'm like, I'm believing in really clearly imagining what the next steps are. And I've always had like a one-year plan, a five-year plan, but now I'm I'm putting myself in the room because I think it's very easy to have some form of success and to be content there, but I want to keep moving forward. I think LA has, if you're a creative, it has an unbelievable amount of potential because you have things like space, you know, that's a commodity that doesn't really exist in New York. You know, yeah. you have access to celebrity and talent. That is something that in London is not at the same level as New York or LA. And then you have incredible locations. You have things that should inspire you, but you have to get up and get out. And then you also need to build, I think in any business, but especially as an artist, you need to build an infrastructure around you of people to lift you up. You know, I think I am only ever as good as the people who are around me. So if I don't have an amazing model or an amazing location or an amazing stylist and hair and makeup around me to kind of push the concept, it's not going to be interesting. So you need people who will disagree with you, tell you that you're wrong, tell you that you're an idiot, tell you that you're being cheesy. You need people to kind of really, to push you to go in directions that you wouldn't think of. And also the biggest thing is, I think you have to be self-hating, you know, like every good Jew. Um, <laughs> you need to question yourself and always doubt yourself. It's not too good to look at other people and compare. That's, that's not what I'm talking about. I just think you need to look at yourself and understand what you could do better. I hate it when I see people just patting themselves on the back all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's, you know, it's a process and it, it's, it should be a continual process. And all the small things you do every single day add up, you know? So be polite to people, reach out to people, say thank you when given opportunities. Don't think that you deserve anything. You know, and, and I, I'm guilty of being complacent in these things often, but I think if you look at any field, the successful people all kind of have the same amount of modesty and diligence. And, uh, you know, that's what I'm trying to. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I do. When you mentioned like you have to be a little bit self-hating and to kind of like push yourself, how do you find the line and the boundary between that and then just being so critical and harsh to yourself? Because sometimes I find that too, and I'm always trying to be a better version of myself, but sometimes the like, you know, cycle in my brain is like being mean to myself and the the harsh criticism is like different from like the positive criticism. Yeah. Yeah. And to add to that, like, we talked about this earlier, like faking it till you make it. So like for me, I'm always teetering between like convincing myself that I'm good enough to like charge forward and like that delusion that you kind of need that we spoke about earlier to be successful and to like believe in yourself enough to take those risks and whatever else. Whilst also I actually do more naturally steer to self-criticism, like negative self-talk. So like, how do you find the balance of like figuring it to make it. Versus, yeah, yeah. And I don't need to be happy. You know, I'm not trying to be happy. I, I don't need to feel like I, I've got positive affirmations. <laughs> I'm happy to be miserable. You know, if that's <laughs> my place that I'm going to push from. So yeah, I don't mind feeling really crap and low and negative and sad and depressed and right. feeling like I'm not worth anything because that usually I'm not the type of person to mope, you know, what usually happens in my life is if I have a little bit of success, I mean, real success, something that I've set out a goal to do, I will allow myself an evening to watch films, relax, drink wine. And then I wake up the next day and I'll be a bit hungover and I'll think I need to push again. I'm happy to be in the trenches. I'm happy to think, why aren't I ever where I want to be? And I think that's how all artists should be. I'm happy to be miserable. Like get on the train, the misery train. (laughs) Wait, I actually think that's so interesting because I was just talking to Jasmine about this. It's like, it's not about being happy. It's about the meaning in the process. So even if you're like not super happy, but you know, like your purpose is there in this like uncertainty space and in the trenches, you know that like when you go through it, like this is where you're meant to be. Yeah. There's happy, there's happiness in misery. Yes. You know? It's not all rainbows and sunshine all the time. Do you think it's like about being accepting? So it's like surrendering to, I don't need to be happy. I'm just accepting where I am and that's great. You know that like British saying, keep calm and carry on? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I honestly believe it's like, don't be too introspective. Don't get in your mind too much. Just keep pushing forward and try and stay on this earth as long as you can and be good to people. But like, I try and not evaluate too much because you'll be miserable. One of my ex-girlfriends always used to try and have these kind of conversations with me. And I used to tell her it's ignorance is bliss. You know, you shouldn't look into your brain too much because it's a deep, dark, ugly place. And no one is going to know you better than yourself. And so, you know, all the worst things about you, you know, all your nasty little secrets that you'd never tell anyone, you know, all your biggest insecurities and you should keep that stuff bottled up deep, deep, deep inside <laughs> and never tell anyone. But what if you don't actually know those this. things? Like, cause I think sometimes what, we're hidden, not self-aware. Hidden traumas? Hide not them. That, well, like Hide it sometimes all. they come out in weird ways and then someone will mirror back to you. Like, you know, you're doing this thing and you're like, 
you're like the wicked witch of the West. You like melt if you haven't done any introspective work. You're like, no, I swear you I'm become not that person. defensive. And instead, yeah. if you've kind of like done the work, you can acknowledge, be like, you're right. Like, I'm working on that. I love this debate. This is very Brit versus. No, <laughs> I, I mean, I hear that. Yeah. I hear that. But there is a world in which you can not become defensive. You can just lie and you can be like, okay noted let's move on you know there's a world where right. you kind of keep and what it. do you do with that if i were like max you have this really bad habit blah 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 i wanted to tell you as your friend i'd be like yeah I acknowledge, i'd be like yeah i acknowledge that i'm terrible at that i'm awful i'm the worst and then what would you do with it later nothing, nothing. i'd do the same thing over again down. if i needed to do Bottle it, it up and, yeah. <laughs> and then when that person gets mad again and they're like a business partner or well whatnot. i mean it depends what the thing is like if if they're like if why, why do you keep punching me in the face i'd be like okay that's okay, a problem right, right, but right. if it's like i don't like the way you constantly interrupt me when you're in your flow i'd be like you know what i know i'm rude I've always been rude, but I'm passionate. <laughs> and this is the way I communicate. I'm sorry. Right, you know? So how does Matilda deal with this? Matilda's a saint. Honestly, yeah. I have no idea how she deals with me. But Seriously. she, she uh, we met, she was working, doing this project with Pharrell Williams, where she was like putting out this hot sauce for the Williams family kitchen in collaboration with Dean and DeLuca. And she'd never done anything like that before. And it was this big project. And I watched her work from 8 a.m. till 7 p.m. Well, every day and then come home and then sleep and then wake up late in the evening and start doing emails with Europe every day for like two years. And she learned all these skill sets and it was really important for her. But I was like, what are you doing? Like, why, why are you making a hot sauce? Like, this wasn't what... So then she started working with me and she'd been to film school and now I'm watching her become... I mean, she's an incredible videographer, but she has her own eye and she's also my sounding board on everything. She's a part of my photography. She's my editor. She's, uh, you know, vital to my business, uh, our business now, which has become. So we are collaborators and she knows that I am highly sensitive when it comes to my art. So she will try and nudge me in the right way. It's hard, you know, because all of the photos you take and all the people you meet, those photos to the artist are so much more than just the photos. They're the experiences. You know, when I photographed the Kings of Leon, I went to Nashville. I went to their house. The photo editors told me these guys are real bastards. They're not going to be nice to you. I got into the house. My camera didn't work. My assistant had to run and buy me a new camera as they were coming yeah. out. I just about pulled off this shoot and I had to get on a red eye back to New York for another shoot. So that, that whole shoot, those pictures mean so much to me. So when I decided a month ago, they're not good enough anymore, three years later, to be on my website. And I delete them. I'm killing my darlings because those photos were darlings to me. And it's painful. But, you know, you as an artist have to decide how you want people to perceive you. And if the images don't all fit together, then the language becomes muddy and conflated. And I think the great artists are clear. And that is something... You know, for me, I've always been able to talk to people. I've always been able to take a certain type of photo to make people happy, but I've never been happy with myself as an artist. I've been happy that I could make a living to support myself, but I've never thought, I've looked at other photographers and thought, why do I like their work so much? And it's taken me a, a while to mature to the level where I'm starting to understand what are the changes I need to make 
to grow as an artist. And I think that's the most important thing a photographer or any kind of creative can do is to understand how you are going to grow and how you are going to improve and how you are going to be consistent and how when people look at you, they're going to go, that's Max Montgomery. When people tune into the What's the Point podcast, they want to know what that podcast is. And it has to do the same thing every single time. And you guys are right to ask the same question at the beginning and and to kind of lead the conversations in, in the same way, because I think that's, I know that all the podcasts I listen to, and I listen to five podcasts, you know, every week, it's the same formula every single time. You know, if you go to a restaurant, you want to eat the same food. Mm -hmm. If you fly first class, you expect to be treated in a certain way. If you go to a certain hotel, everything is about consistency. That's what keeps people coming back, I think. So it's like you have to have a balance of, it sounds, consistency, but as an artist, allow yourself to grow and change. Because that's also even as a human, like... It seems like you're always also reinventing yourself as an artist because your standards for yourself are higher because you've learned so much. Yeah. I also think the other thing that's really important is just to realize that none of it matters. Mm -hmm. It's a complete joke. This whole world is kind of a farce in many things. And like, it's like, what am I doing? I'm taking pictures of people. Come on. Like, you know, I'm not in the White House. I'm not committing like brain surgery. It's but like, you are making your, whoever you're taking pictures of feel a certain way. Yeah. It matters to me and it matters to them, but it doesn't really matter. Right. You know, it's like so funny when I hear people talk about like that, you know, I know a lot of very successful photographers, big photographers who talk about their legacy and, and what they're going to leave and worry about this all the time. And I'm like, you know, it's what we talked about earlier. It's the journey is what matters, not the destination. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, I am so lucky that I get to travel all around the world and meet all these people. People pay for me to go and meet amazing musicians and actors who I'm super inspired about. I get excited sometimes. I'm like, oh my God, I'm shooting this person. I love them, you know? And then you go into their house or you go and shoot them in, in this incredible location or you go and get to spend three or four days with them. You get to see behind the curtain of how they live their life. Like that is incredible. And it's all because you've got this little box that like can take pictures, you know, it's, it's wild. If you yeah, think about it. Yeah, the magic it. box that got you into James Blake's but, house. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But none of that, you know, do those pictures really matter? You know, I don't know. So for a lot of other photographers, that must be like the sexiest thing ever. And like, they get really in this scene of like, I photographed Justin Bieber and James Blake and na na na. And how do you take the perspective of like, none of this really matters. Like I'm here for the journey and I don't stay in the scene and like, well, you know. I think for sure it helps that my dad was a photographer who shot more people than I could ever shoot. He never cared. You know, it's just another person. It's like, right. it's like you're a mechanic or a plumber, you know, you come in and you, and you do your job and you, you're so focused when you are doing it that the only time that I really enjoy it really, truly enjoy the shoot. I mean, I enjoy the process, but I'm focused. The only time that I ever really allow myself to be like truly happy is the moment that you get the film developed from the color lab and you see that you didn't mess it up and that it's come out, right? Yeah. That's the only time, because it's a true relief. And then it's an excitement because it's magic, you know? Mm -hmm. it's, it's really magic. Film developing is magic, magic. Yeah, you know, it is. it is wild. That's why I stopped shooting digitally uh, a while ago, because I, I just think it's like, it takes away all the magic 
of photography. And if, yeah. if I can shoot on film, I will shoot on film. I think it's actually that I just don't idolize a lot of these people, you know? Yeah. I, I really don't. You like, just treat them like humans that they are. I mean, like, obviously, when you hear somebody like James Blake, for example, sing, if you photograph them, you're like, holy moly, this guy is insane. I feel very lucky to have been in the room with him. But when I'm photographing him, he's not singing. He's just an English <laughs> bloke who's there talking about his dog, you know, and I'm looking at the clothes on him thinking, God, why is it every time a stylist has to do a shoot, they have to put on, you know, a brand that I don't like or, you know, or why did the makeup go so heavy? You know, I'm not, there is no pedestal for them to be on. In fact, I see them as something that I have to kind of mold into being cool because I know at the end of the day, when I go home, I'm going to hate the photo for some reason. So I have to try and limit Mm -hmm. the amount of hate I'm going to have for my own work at the end of the day. So I wanted to touch on your dad. Your dad is obviously a very well-known photographer, one, probably one of the most well-known. Like, was there any resistance? Like, this is just in general, we were talking about this. I actually recently just started working with my dad part-time. And it's like, was there any resistance to following in his footsteps, which I think is a very human thing? So I went to school and then I went to university in King's College, London, for a year to study theology and economics. And I didn't like it because I was in London and I'd just been at boarding school for five years before and I moved back to London. And I was like living at home. So then I said, okay, I'm going to drop out. And then the next year I started at Manchester because I thought if I go to school far away, university far away, it will feel more like the boarding school experience. But within the first month, a boy put a rat in a microwave and it was traumatic for me and I I, mean, I just found Manchester oh my pretty tough and it was so big so I I quickly decided I I needed to work and drop out of school and so I did a bunch of jobs working in uh, a publishing company which I got fired from pretty quickly uh, I worked in selling shirts and I got fired from that pretty quickly so and then I kind of was just like being useless and living at home. And my father said, I will help you get an internship with a photographer. And long story short, my parents basically said to me, you have never done anything in your life fully. You've never followed anything through. And we're so disappointed in you. (laughs) And we've spent all this money on your school fees. I went to one of the most expensive schools in England and you are just pissing it all away. And they guilted me into working really hard. And I had no interest in photography at all. I was only interested in football and girls and drinking. And so the fact that my father was a photographer meant very little to me because I didn't care about photography. But then in some beautiful way that life happens, I started working for this guy Rankin and he was just so cool to me. You know, he was every day we were photographing Jay-Z or Pharrell or the biggest sports players and doing campaigns for Nike. And then I started traveling with him and going to Brazil and all around the world. And he really made me a part of the family. And then when I would come home, you know, and that was hard work, seven days a week, no days off, 
mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe one day off every month, if you're lucky, for very little pay. And when I came home, my dad was like my therapist because he'd been there and done that before because he was a photo assistant. And he would kind of pick me up off the ground when I was bruised and battered from work. So it made me and him much closer and gave us a lot to talk about because as much as my dad tried to talk to me about football, he was American from Brooklyn and I was English. And suddenly we had this, this incredible thing in common and it has not stopped since then. And then another interesting facet was when I was really starting, you know, I'd been with Rankin for a year. We went to go to this Yoji Yamamoto show that I took a couple of days off from work because I had been accepted to shoot the behind the scenes for Yoji's fashion show. And a big part of it was nepotism because Yoji had wanted to use one of the photos or a couple of the photos that my father had taken of Jimi Hendrix's album cover for Electric Ladyland on his collection. So all the dresses had these images of my dad in front. And my dad said, you can use the pictures. Can my son take some behind the scenes photos? So Yoji said, sure. So we go out there and I take all these photos and it's really great. And then afterwards, me and my dad go for for a couple of drinks to celebrate. And we go to this bar. And at the bar, three photographers, one of them is a very famous photographer called Max Viducal. The other photographer is a very famous photographer called David Sims, English photographer. And then the third photographer, it was a photographer called Paolo Reversi. And Paolo Reversi is incredible. He is not just a photographer. He is a true artist, generational. He is widely recognized as one of a kind. His style is very ethereal. His pictures look like dreams almost. And he was at the bar next to me and my dad, and um, he had his camera out. And my dad went over to him and said, hey, uh, what's that camera? And they got chatting and um, my dad said, what's your name? And he said, I'm Paolo Reversi. And my dad got down on his knees and started kissing his feet at the bar. And Paolo said, please, please, please get up, get up, get up, get up. We're in the middle of the bar. And he, and he said, uh, how do you know my work? And he said, I'm a photographer too. And he said, oh, what's your name? And my dad said, I'm David Montgomery. And Paolo got down on his knees and started kissing my dad's feet. So they had this whole little bromance. (laughs) And then afterwards, Paolo said to me, uh, so tell me, what do you do? And I said, oh, well, I'm a photo assistant. I work for Rankin. I want to become a photographer. And he said, well, uh, would you mind if I gave you some advice? And I said, please. And he said to me, you know, as you become a photographer, a lot of people will ask you what it's like, the fact that your father is who your father is, And they will perhaps tell you that you live in his shadow, but you must remember that you are a photographer. And as a photographer, you live in his light. And I always thought that was very beautiful. And that's how I see it. You know, I use my father as an inspiration to be better. We are completely different in our style and completely different in our approach he has a feminine energy and he is very soft and he is really classic. And I think that maybe 
he wasn't at the beginning of his career, but that's how he developed. And I think that now I am probably more like he was at the beginning of his career in his infancy, where you you think everything should be a bit more rock and roll and wide angle. And we'll argue about this stuff all the time. But um, he he seeps into me and he's also my biggest cheerleader and supporter and confidant. So, yeah. That is beautiful. To anyone that would be... Because there are haters that would be like, well, you just got your foot in the door because of your dad. They're right. They're right, right? Yeah, they're right. I can't deny it. Yeah. Like, I'm lucky. I'm lucky the way I was born. I'm deaf. There are many photographers more talented than me out there that are not as successful or having, not to say I'm so successful, but are not having the successes I'm having. I definitely have had many advantages in life. And I would be a complete liar to say otherwise. No, it's it's great that you actually like own that. Because I think a lot of people become defensive. I mean, I try and give it back, you know? Like I try, I have multiple people in my life who are young photographers who work for me, who I have met. I don't have any wealthy photography assistants, you know? All my photo assistants are guys who wanted to be photographers, who wrote to me, who I like their style of photos. And when, when they work for me, I give them everything, you know, it's not just like a photography education. I talk to them about everything. You know, I just went to the funeral of one of my assistant's mothers and, you know, it's like, he's a part of my family now and my wife loves him and he's a really special kid and he's become a really special photographer since I worked for him. And I try and just be as generous as I can with yeah. what knowledge I have. This is something that I've just noticed. And for context, Max was a guardian angel when my boyfriend and I broke up <laughs> and I was in a really, really bad place. And he, no, really, we were, you were so healing. And it was just like, we were neighbors at the time and he was walking by my apartment and he was with Lou, baby Lou and was just like, do you want to go walk to get coffee? And I was like, yeah, I'm in a really bad place right now. And you were so gracious with me. And in the limited time I've known you, like, and especially in this conversation, I've noticed that you have a very, for being a Brit, that's like, I want to bottle it up. It's okay. Keep it to yourself. You do have this very like strong sense of self and spirituality. Like there is a sense of like strength there. And I, is that something that you, was that your household you grew up in? Was that within yourself? Has that always been a thing? Because that to me Anyone listening, I'm sure would be like, this guy is very evolved. And the fact that you're kind of like, don't even look into it is amazing because it's very, like, I'm wondering where this came from. I mean, I went to religious schools all the way growing up. Christian, (laughs) not Jewish. I went to Christian schools. No. Um, yeah, I went to... I Did went, you actually do? Yeah, I went to... Oh. I went to multiple Christian schools. Really? Yeah, I went to Westminster Cathedral Choir but School. But you're Jewish, right? Yeah, I'm Jewish. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was the odd one out. When when they would do the communion uh, in the mass, I had to go up with my arms crossed and the priest would like <laughs> touch my head and I was always so jealous. Everyone would eat the bread and drink the wine. And one time I pretended to be... I was like... I need to have that wine. Like, you know, I was an alcoholic from a young age. I was just like, why have I not got that wine um, in church? So I, I, you know, welcomed Christ for that moment. Um, uh, But yeah, basically I went to multiple Christian schools and I studied theology and uh, philosophy. Mm -hmm. And I have 
many women in my life that have my mother and my sister have validated me nonstop. You know, always I would come down and they'd be like, wow, how good looking is this boy? Aww. You know, and then they're like always, yeah. always built me up. But I have also hurt people in my life. Um, of course, and is. a lot of that was when I was younger, you know, and you don't realize sometimes that you're hurting people until years later when they tell you. And all of that stuff kind of is like a wound on your soul, at least for me, that you heal over time, but you you should try and not repeat those things. So I guess I've made a lot of mistakes that I I try and learn from. But overall, I mean, I think, you know, my parents were really important to me. I think they always tried to teach me to do the right things. My mother really just wanted us to be good people, I think. Um, my sister and I, and and also my two half-sisters, you know, who are really my sisters. Um, <laughs> my mother really tried to teach us, you know, that if you did the right thing, you you had a, a kind of chance of being happy and successful, you know, and that like doing the right thing often was like the foundations to those things. It's like I said, you know, all the little steps in the day, it's like my sister is incredible. She'll write a thank you card to everything. You know, she follows up on everyone, but she's a little different than me because like we'll go to parties, I'll get drunk. She'll not get drunk and and take everybody's numbers and 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 kind of be a little more mature. So we're we're the kind of yin and yang to each other. But at the end of the day, we both managed to kind of cultivate relationships with people because we were taught that was important from a young age. And given those principles that you learned, how are you cultivating that for your son and your family? Oh man. Fatherhood is wild. I mean, parenting is wild. It's crazy. Yes. I mean, my my wife hates it when I say this, but I describe his birth as like surviving a terrorist attack <laughs> um, because, I mean, it was so beautiful. The whole experience was so beautiful. But I think because we had him during COVID, I wasn't allowed to go into the hospital at all. So I drove her to all the appointments like 15, 20 appointments she had. I drove and I sat outside, but I never went into the hospital, not for the ultrasound, not for anything. So the first time I was in the hospital, bang, he came out. He was put in my arms and I was like, oh my God, I'm totally unprepared for this. We didn't do any parenting classes, nothing. And now it's like, I was like, wait, he's going to be awake every two hours. And I have to, and like, how am I ever going to work again? How am I ever going to go on holiday again? Do I have to get a nan? Like, you can't, you don't imagine, oh, in two years, they'll go to school and your life will go back to normal. You're just like, whoa. And we didn't have any kind of infrastructure. So yeah, it, it, it was crazy. But then you get used to it. And then now I love this little dude. I try and think that I just want him to be well-mannered and the rest he can kind of work out for himself. So, you know, now he's in a stage where he likes to hit me in the face. That's a fun one. Um, wow. So I'm trying to teach him about soft hands and, <laughs> and trying to raise him in a way that is acceptable by today's standards um, yeah. and that is 
aligns with my wife's view of the world because, you know, I went to a British boarding school and I grew up in a time in England where children were disciplined properly. And I think that is probably not the time we live in anymore. I wouldn't change anything about how I was raised, but it's also hard because it's like, at what age can you can you start and all of those things? But yeah, basically, if he steps out of line, I'm going to ship him off to a foreign country <laughs> and send him to boarding school. Does it? Does fatherhood change at all how you show up at work? Yeah, in terms that I'm sober because I've gone to bed earlier. Um, I used to I used to party hard before Louis, with my wife as well. Like we used to go out. I used to go out all the time. And now I'm like in bed by like 8 p.m. because I literally can't handle life um, if I don't. Um, But now he started going to school again. Who knows? I can can get back uh, unless number two comes. But does it change how I show up to work? I mean, in a sense that I'm maybe not on a, a shoot day. But in big picture stuff, yes, because I think I am probably more motivated now than ever to bring home the bacon baby because, you know, there's a lot of stuff you got to pay for. um, And America is not cheap. There's no healthcare, there's no schools, there's no nothing and everything's... (laughs) Does it make you more like intentional with the clients you choose to work with or the time that you're like a shoot in somewhere far away? Like, does it make you more intentional? No. No, no. To be honest, I will work with anyone if they like, I have no prejudice on clients. I will literally work for anybody. I would work for anyone if they, if they pay the day rate, (laughs) it sounds terrible, but it's true. You know, that, that is, that is the life of a photographer. My father described it once to me as it's like owning a laundromat, you know, it's like a load comes in, a load comes out, you Mm -hmm. know, and you just have to, you make a decision as a photographer. Do you want to be an artist, a fine art, or do you want to be a commercial photographer? Or do you want, and uh, you know, it's a balance, like everything and you try and do both, but inevitably the commercial stuff is what allows you to have the freedoms in your life. And Lou does not really, if anything, he makes me take more clients on and say yes to more stuff. That's beautiful. Um, no. I also want to say like this podcast has been really refreshing because you have such an honest perspective. Like I think a lot of people like when they're in a hot seat or on video or whatever it is, they, they kind of want to put on a persona of like the highlight reel. And our whole podcast is about like bringing it back and pulling the curtain. And you've just been incredibly just honest. Yeah. Like even if it's like, quote unquote, not what society would do, you're just like, this is me. I'm authentically me. And I want to tell everyone the truth. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm a really crap liar. Yeah. So, I mean, actually, I'm an all right liar. I, I've lied. I'm, I had a sense you'd be a great guest. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. No, thank you're, you. this is I great. I was like, so, okay. So, I have, we have like a few more questions we have to wrap up. But earlier, first question, you mentioned autonomy as being a definition of success. Obviously, now you have a son, a wife, your job, all these things. How do you find your sense of autonomy within that? And second, per the point of like being super busy, do you feel just to kind of pull back the curtain, you have a very glamorous resume of people you're photographing. Are there days where you're like, literally fuck this? Or are you just like super energized what you're doing and feel super grateful? I mean, so the first part of the question, the autonomy, I don't separate my wife and my son from me. I see us all as like one being. That's beautiful. Um, So as long as like we get to do whatever we want, I'm happy. 
they don't act as anchors on me at all but like it's important to me that i can still do all the things that i did before so like little lou has been to brazil and to japan and to france and to italy like i take him everywhere so cool. and i wind everybody up on the plane because he's a nightmare <laughs> but um we do it because we don't care about their feelings and we want to go to these places yeah. um so yeah we we rock and roll that's cool I kind of just incorporated him into that part of our life and Matilda feels the same. And then there are not days, there are minutes of every day. I am up and down like a yo-yo. Even when you have a big success, it's very short-lived because it's always on to the next thing. I am constantly feeling like a failed artist, a failed businessman and I know that everybody else, when you pull back the curtain, is pretty much feeling the same. <laughs> there are some, you know, take photography, for example. There are so many photographers that are making a lot of money, but I reckon there are about 12 that are really happy in the whole world. You have to be like the big, 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 big dog, you know, because if there's somebody bigger than you, you're always going to have an ego and you can try and subdue that ego but i'm pretty happy overall like you know i'm like living the dream over here i've got everything that i want in life but um sometimes i look at other people's work and i'm like it's like paul thomas anderson the mm -hmm. director right i'm like trying to move into directing now but i'm like i'm never gonna be able to be paul thomas anderson are you joking are you mad he's just like his rolodex and encyclopedia of references quentin tarantino these people it's like you can't just be like okay, I'm going to be a film director. And like, you know, it, all of these things, it takes time and it takes brilliance. And sometimes I think you just got to accept that you're not going to be the best, but you just got to try and be the best version of yourself and have fun and not take it seriously because it doesn't matter. I love this. I, this is such a great conversation and that goes perfectly with our last question. Yeah. So Max, what's the point? What is the point? I guess the point is to make it to tomorrow, you know, one step at a time, have a goal and just keep going, keep trucking. I love, I love it. it. Thank, Thank you so you. much. This is so good. Thank you. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. 
juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 